Long history. The southern United States in the 1500s, part 15, the plentiful lands of Arkansas. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 15 of Long History's The Southern United States in the 1500s. If you've heard any of the previous episodes for this document, you'll know this already, but just for new listeners, I'll just say that this text describes an expedition from the mid-1500s to explore large parts of the southern United States, from Florida to Arkansas, including most of the states in between. The expedition was headed by Hernando de Soto, and it began in April 1538. The text for this episode was written by a Portuguese man known as the Gentleman of Elvis, who took part in the expedition. 14 episodes have already been released for this series, and I'm sure they're just a few clicks away. And don't forget to subscribe also to listen to the rest of the episodes, there's 25 in total here. But onto this episode, and it's over three years now since Hernando de Soto's expedition began. He set off from San Lucar in southern Spain in April 1538. He stopped in Cuba before reaching Florida and then began his exploration of the US mainland. So far they've visited areas today known as the states of Georgia, North and South Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama and Mississippi. And as this episode begins, it's June or July in 1541. Hernando de Soto and his men are with a group of people called Pacaja in this text. The Spanish have apparently forced these people to come to peace with their local enemies, the Caski. As this episode begins, we hear about the gifts the caciques, the leaders of these two groups, give Hernando de Soto. He's called the governor in this text. Chapter 25 How the governor went from Pacaja to Aquiguate and to Goligoa and came to Cayas. The governor rested in Pacaja 40 days, during which time the two caciques made him presents of fish, shawls and skins in great quantity, each striving to outdo the other in the magnitude of the gifts. At the time of his departure, the chief of Pacaja bestowed on him two of his sisters, telling him that they were tokens of love for his remembrance, to be his wives. The name of one was Macanoche, that of the other Mochila. They were symmetrical, tall and full, Macanoche bore a pleasant expression. In her manners and features appeared the lady. The other was robust. The cacique of Caski ordered the bridge to be repaired, and the governor, returning through his territory, lodged in the field near his town. He brought there much fish, exchanged two women for as many shirts with two of the Christians, and furnished a guide and tamemes. The governor marched to one of his towns and slept, and the next night came to another that was near a river, where he ordered him to bring canoes that he might cross over. There, taking his leave, the chief went back. The governor travelled towards Aquiguate, and on the fourth day of August came to the residence of the cacique, who, although he had sent him a present on the road of many shawls and skins, abandoned the place through fear on his arrival. That town was the largest seen in Florida. One half of it was occupied by the governor and his people, and, after a few days, discovering that the Indians were dealing in falsehoods, he ordered the other part to be burned, that it might not afford them cover should they attack him at night, nor be an embarrassment to his cavalry in a movement to repel them. An Indian having come attended by a multitude, declaring himself to be the cacique, the governor delivered him over to be looked after by his bodyguard. Many of the Indians went off and returned with shawls and skins, but, finding small opportunity for carrying out their evil plan, one day the pretended cacique, walking out of the house with the governor, ran away with such swiftness that not one of the Christians could overtake him, and, plunging into the river, at the distance of a crossbow shot from the town, he made for the other shore, where many Indians, giving loud shouts, began to make use of their arrows. The governor directly crossed over to attack them with horse and foot, but they dared not await him. 
Following them up, he came to a town that was abandoned, before which there was a lake the horses could not pass over, and on the other side were many females. The footmen, having crossed, capturing many of them, took much clothing. Returning to the camp early in the night, the sentinel seized a spy, who, assenting to the request to lead to where the cacique was, the governor directly set out with twenty cavalry and fifty infantry in quest of him. After travelling a day and a half, they found him in a thick wood, and a soldier, ignorant of who he was, having struck him on the side of the head with a cutlass, he called out not to kill him, that he was the chief. So he was captured, and with him one hundred and forty of his people. The governor, returning to Kiguate, directed him to tell his people to come and serve the Christians. But, after waiting some days in the hope of their arrival, and finding that they did not come, he sent two captains, each on an opposite side of the river, with infantry and cavalry, whereby many of both sexes were made prisoners. The Indians, seeing the harm they received for their rebellious conduct, waited on the governor to take his commands, coming and going often, bringing with them presents of fish. The cacique and two of his wives being at their liberty in the quarters of the governor, which were guarded by his halberdiers, he asked them what part of the country was most inhabited, to which they replied that to the south or down the river there were large towns and the caciques governed wide territories with numerous people, and that to the northwest was a province near some mountains called Coligoa. He, with many others, deemed it well to go thither first, saying that the mountains, perhaps, would make a difference in the soil and that silver and gold might afterward follow. The country of Akiguate, like that of Kaski and Pakaha, was level and fertile, having rich river margins on which the Indians made extensive fields. From Tascalusa to the River Grande, maybe 300 leagues, a region very low, having many lakes. From Pacaja to Kiguate, there may be 110 leagues. There he left the cacique in his own town, and an Indian guided them through an immense pathless thicket of desert for seven days, where they slept continually in ponds and shallow puddles. Fish were so plentiful in them that they were killed with blows of cudgels and as the Indians travelled in chains, they disturbed the mud at the bottom, by which the fish, becoming stupefied, would swim to the surface, when as many were taken as were desired. The inhabitants of Coligoa had never heard of the Christians, and when these got so near their town as to be seen, they fled upstream along a river that passed nearby there, some throwing themselves into the water, whence they were taken by their pursuers who, on either bank, captured many of both sexes, and the cacique with the rest. Three days from that time came many Indians by his order, with offerings of shawls, deerskins and two cowhides. They stated that at the distance of five or six leagues towards the north were many cattle, where the country being cold was thinly inhabited, and that, to the best of their knowledge, the province that was better provisioned than any other, and more populous, was one to the south called Cayas. About forty leagues from Quiguate stood Coligoa, at the foot of a mountain, in the vale of a river of medium size, like the Caya, a stream that passes through Estremadura. The soil was rich, yielding maize in such profusion that the old was thrown out of store to make room for the new grain. Beans and pumpkins were likewise in great plenty. Both were larger and better than those of Spain, the pumpkins when roasted having nearly the taste of chestnuts. The cacique continued behind in his own town, having given a guide for the way to Cayas. We travelled five days, and came to the province of Palisema. The house of the cacique was canopied with coloured deerskins, having designs drawn on them, and the ground was likewise covered in the same manner, as if with carpets. He left it in that state for the use of the governor, a token of peace, and of a desire for friendship, though still he did not dare to await his coming. 
The governor, finding that he had gone away, sent a captain with horse and foot to look after him, and though many persons were seen, because of the roughness of the country, only a few men and boys were secured. The houses were few and scattered, only a little maze was found. Directly, the governor set forward and came to Tatalikoya, whence he took the cacique, who guided him to Kayas, a distance of four days' journey from that town. When he arrived and saw the scattered houses, he thought, from the information he had received of the great populousness of the country, that the cacique was lying to him, that it was not the province, and he menaced him, bidding him tell where he was. The chief, as likewise the other Indians taken nearby, declared that to be in Kayas, the best town in all the province, and that although the houses were far apart, the country occupied being extensive, it had numerous people and many maize fields. The town was called Tanico. The camp was placed in the best part of it nigh a river. On the day of arrival, the governor with some mounted men went a league farther but found no one, and only some skins which the cacique had put on the road to be taken, a sign of peace by the usage of the country. Chapter 26 How the governor went to visit the province of Tuya, and what happened to him. The governor tarried a month in the province of Kayas. In this time, the horses fattened and throve more than they had done at other places in a longer time, in consequence of the large quantity of maize there. The blade of it, I think, is the best fodder that grows. The beasts drank so copiously from the very warm and brackish lake that they came having their bellies swollen with the leaf when they were brought back from watering. Till they reached that spot, the Christians had wanted salt. Now they made a quantity and took it with them. The Indians carry it into other parts to exchange for skins and shawls. The salt is made along by a river, which, when the water goes down, leaves it upon the sand. As they cannot gather the salt without a large mixture of sand, it is thrown together into certain baskets they have for the purpose, made large at the mouth and small at the bottom. These are set in the air on a ridge pole, and water being thrown on, vessels are placed under them wherein it may fall. Then, being strained and placed on the fire, it is boiled away, leaving salt at the bottom. The land on the shores of the river were fields, and maize was in plenty. The Indians dared not cross the river to where we were. Some appearing were called to by the soldiers who saw them, and having come over were conducted by them before the governor. On being asked for the cacique, they said that he was peaceful but afraid to show himself. The governor directly sent them back to tell him to come, and, if he desired his friendship, to bring an interpreter and a guide for the travel before them that if he did not do so he would go in pursuit, when it would be the worse for him. The governor waited three days, and finding that the cacique did not come, he went in pursuit and brought him there as a captive with 150 of his people. He asked him if he had knowledge of any great cacique, and in what direction the country was most inhabited. The Indians stated that the largest population about there was that of a province lying to the southward, thence a day and a half's travel, called Tuya that he could give him a guide but no interpreter, that the tongue of that country was different from his, and that he and his ancestors had ever been at war with its chiefs, so that they neither conversed together nor understood each other. Then the governor, with cavalry and fifty infantry, directly set out for Tulia, to see if it was such a land as he might pass through with his troops. So soon as it became known that he had reached there, the inhabitants were summoned, and as they gathered by fifteen and twenty at a time, they would come to attack the Christians. Finding that they were sharply handled, and that in running the horses would overtake them, they got upon the housetops where they endeavoured to defend themselves with their bows and arrows. When beaten off from one roof, they would get up onto another, and while the Christians were going after some, others would attack them from an opposite direction. The struggle lasted so long that the steeds, becoming tired, 
could not be made to run. One horse was killed and others were wounded. Of the Indians, fifteen were slain and forty women and boys made prisoners. For no one who could draw a bow and could be reached was his life spared him. In this episode, Hernando de Soto has crossed the whole of today's northern Arkansas. Hernando de Soto keeps moving, always searching for better lands ahead, always asking the people he meets where he can go to find more populous and more prosperous country. In the meantime, he's finding Arkansas to be a plentiful land with many fields of maize. The people he meets react in various ways to the arrival of the outsiders, depending sometimes on whether they have been told in advance of the arrival of the newcomers. As this episode ends with another battle raging, Hernando de Soto is at the most westerly point of his expedition and will now head south and back towards the east, still crossing Arkansas. Communication with the local people has always been an issue on this expedition. In the next episode in particular, we'll see how Hernando de Soto comes across this problem and tries to solve it. Thanks all for listening and making it to this point in this episode. Please, before you go, give it a like. Don't forget to subscribe and take a look at the other series that are available on Long History Now. From Francis Drake to Columbus via Magellan, there's lots to explore. Thanks for accompanying us on this journey around the southern United States in the 1500s. This was part 15, The Plentiful Lands of Arkansas. Goodbye.